The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. If you're here for the first time, we really want to welcome you to this incredible church. I hope you feel what God is doing in this church through the power of the Holy Spirit. We also want to welcome those listening today from Kaule, Hawaii. So we hope that you feel uh, like you're a part of our worship, and we won't even compare our weather to yours today. We know it's really good. So we are on our final week of our series called God Love Sex. We're talking about God, we're talking about love, we're talking about sex. And as I've said before, yeah, this is not a topic that I feel real comfortable talking about. Part of it for me is cultural. Uh, I'm Scottish, and Scottish people barely even do it. Uh, <laughs> They certainly don't talk about it. And I, I'm going to leave out my bad Scottish joke in the beginning. You'll hear enough of those of the next, next week. But I want you to get a feel for this, this feeling of how uncomfortable it can be. So I want you to turn to your neighbor now, and I want you to do this for me. Would you look at your neighbor and say, hi there, and wink like that? Would you do that for me? <laughs> Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, hi there, like that. That's good. Now I want you to say, I can't wait for this sermon on sex. Would you do that? See, it's not that easy. But the truth is, this sermon is a lot easier today than it would have been six years ago for me. And part of the reason for that is that you know me a little better, right? I mean, you know that I'm just nuts. And it's taken you six years to figure that out. But it, can you imagine if we'd have started this, music, this whole church, you know, back in the movie theaters, and we'd have been like, two brothers starting a church, they're wearing kilts, playing bagpipes, the first sermon's on sex, come join our church. Um, <laughs> You know, nobody would have joined this church, and I wouldn't blame you. So part of what the reason for that is, is because knowing is a key part of intimacy. And where there isn't knowing, there isn't real intimacy. Uh, not too long ago, my wife and I, a couple, uh, about a year ago, bought a piece of furniture on Craigslist. And, you know, just whatever. You know how Craigslist works where you dial in the person's name and you figure out and you bid on stuff. And so we got this piece of furniture, this old lazy boy. And um, we didn't know this person at all. But when we bought this, this wonderful piece of furniture, this guy gave me this huge hug that just didn't end. Have you ever had one of those hugs before? It was one of these man hug, bear hug deals that just didn't stop. Now, part of the reason that was kind of weird was because we didn't know each other. <laughs> and it would have been weird anyway. But, but where there is knowing, there is intimacy. And obviously, it goes without saying that we live in a world today where there is no knowing or very little knowing when it comes to sex. Uh, just to rattle off some statistics, obviously, uh, I read the other day that 80% of teenagers today are sexually active. That is sex without knowing. But what you may find more interesting is 80% of Christ-following teenagers are also sexually active. So this is something we need to work on in our churches. And again, we shouldn't blame kids too much because a lot of times they're just following what their parents do, right? 60 to 60% of men and 40% of women will have affairs sometime in their marriages. That's people who are having sex without knowing. Now, I do want to say that that may include you today, and so this is a church where no perfect people are allowed, and so if you're perfect, you can't be here. If you're not perfect, this is the place for you. I also want to say that 90% of marriages where people confess and work on that stuff, the marriages actually work out. But, you know, we live in a world, 
Today, this very second, 28,000 people will log on to, to porn on TV or on uh, the internet. 28,000 a second, new people every second. That's 28,000, 28,000, 28,000. That is sex without knowing, right? Uh, the newest thing is sexting. Have you heard of sexting? This is the ultimate thing of sex without knowing. Uh, you know, it involves uh, basically four out of five college students today will sext, text each other, basically pictures or some kind of sexual uh, imagery of themselves. Again, this isn't real knowing. It's just this kind of physical thing that doesn't mean anything. And when there is no real knowing, there is no real intimacy. There's no sex. And so we're going to talk about that today. And by the way, last week we talked about the boundaries of sex versus the plan of sex. And remember, the boundaries are pretty simple. We're not supposed to be sexually active as single people. And then when we, if God chooses marriage for you, and he may not have chosen marriage for you, that's your window to be sexually active, but not with any other person and with that same person until God calls you home. And, but then we talked about the plan being much richer than that, right? So we usually just talk about the boundaries, and then we say, go home. The plan is way too rich for me to talk about with you today. But God's plan for your sex life is way richer. So today what I want to talk about actually is not how the world is uh, living a life that is not according to God. That goes without saying. What I want to talk about today is how I think that the reason for most marriages not working or most marriages not having the sexual intimacy and the sexual experience that they could is because there isn't knowing in the marriage. This is my basic thesis, that a lot of couples fall into this pattern. And if you fall into this pattern, I'm not judging you or anything, but this is a very common pattern. You meet each other, maybe you meet each other in high school or maybe in your 20s and you get married. Now, you just met each other and then your life quickly picks up from there. Maybe you have kids, you get jobs. And somewhere along the way, you start to just keep living with each other rather than digging into knowing each other. And that what often happens as couples begin to struggle, as their lives get crazy, they try to say, well, let's go back to the beginning again. And so why can't we just recapture a lot of what we had back there? But that never works. You can't go back to the beginning again. What we have to do is dig deeply into that place where we are into that knowing. We're going to talk about that today. Our text is from Genesis. It's the first history example we know of, of two people knowing each other. I also want to say a lot of these ideas today come from Henry Cloud, an incredible psychologist, and I have two CDs down on the Highlands House. You're welcome to pick those up, and we will try to have more copies of that. If this unearths some stuff for you today, uh, I also want to let you know that I'm here to talk with you, and we'll help you through some of this. Okay, Let's take a look at our text. We're taking a look at Genesis 2, 21 through 25, and then 4, 1. Listen for God's word. Okay, this is how it begins. The Lord caused the, Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. I always tell Star that God does his best work in me when I'm sleeping. And she always just says, she's going to have to do a much bigger work for you if you don't get up right now. So, uh, all right. And while he was asleep, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Now, there is no getting around this imagery here. It is very sexual, this imagery. Now, think, and I'm not going to paint too close of a picture for you, but you think about the act of sex, okay? And now I want you to think about this rib and this flesh, okay? This is very similar sexual imagery. Now, the purpose for this is very important. 
The purpose is that we would actually have an intimacy notion with God in our lives. That it isn't just between one another that this knowing happens, but there is a knowing here. And there's a lot of people who came up to me after last week's message and said, Graham, I'm just so lonely. I'm single and I I just feel awful. And my advice to you is to dig deeply into that knowing with God. It isn't just this kind of knowing. Okay, let's keep going. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Again, a lot of people use this argument to say, well, this is why women are less than men. Terrible argument. Not only is it not smart to make that argument, it's also not correct to make that argument, right? I mean, you wouldn't say that the United States is less of a country because it came from Great Britain. You wouldn't say that, would you? You wouldn't say a butterfly is less of a beautiful insect than a caterpillar because it came from a caterpillar. You wouldn't say that a a baby is less of a being than a human. Okay, a baby is a human, but you get the point. (laughs) And so people who make this argument that women are less than men, it's a terrible argument, but the point of this text is that they are made of the same stuff. It's not that there's a derivative nature, it's that they're the same stuff. In fact, that's what the text goes on to say. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called wolf man, which literally means out of man. It's the same stuff. And then for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. We're going to talk about this later, so keep this text in your mind. Let's read it again. For this reason, a man will leave his... A child will leave his father? No. A man will leave his father and mother, and be united to his wife, and they will become one. Remember that in your mind. Verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is so important in terms of intimacy in a marriage, being able to be naked before one another without, like, judgment or laughter. Where there's perfectionism in the bedroom, there's not intimacy. Where there's perfectionism with your own bodies, in the bedroom, there's not intimacy. It's really when you can stand naked before one, not all people, just that one person God has given you to be with, (laughs) and hopefully yourself, and not have any shame. Now here's the focus of the text. It's coming right up here, 4.1. Adam lay with his wife Eve. One of the worst translations of the history translations the NIV makes here. A better translation is Adam knew his wife Eve. Now, the word in Hebrew here is yada, as in yada, yada. Help me out. There you go. The word here is yada, and yada means to know. But actually, that's only one definition. Let me give you a whole list of things it means, and I want you to plug it into the text. Adam acknowledged his wife. That's no. He knew his wife. Adam was aware of his wife. Adam chose his wife. Do you know how affirming this can be in a marriage to say, I choose you Again, I would, did you hear that in the video just now? I would choose him again if I had the choice. To comprehend, Adam comprehended his wife. That means you take in the whole being of your wife. Adam was concerned about, hey, how are you today? Adam was considering his wife. He discerned his wife. He discovered his wife. There's a good sexual word. Adam distinguished his wife. I'm putting you way up here today. Adam experienced his wife. Not just sex, experience. Here's my favorite one. Adam found his wife. Doesn't everyone just want to be found? Adam found his wife. He had regard for his wife. He learned about his wife. He noticed his wife. I heard about a couple who were in counseling, and one uh, said to the other, you never notice me. And uh, he said, yeah, I do. 
And, and then the counselor said, what do you mean? Well, you didn't notice when I got my hair done, she said to him. And he said, yeah, I did. No, you didn't. When did you do it? Well, the day we had sex. So we were this close to one another, and you didn't even notice that I got my hair done. Notice uh, to observe. Adam observed his wife. He recognized his wife, and he understood his wife. I know at this point a lot of you are saying if it means understanding, if I have to understand my husband or wife, I am out of this game. But don't be. Because knowing means so much more than that physical thing. So again, what do I want to talk about today? I want to talk about helping people who are in marriages digging into that knowing experience. And possibly, if you are not married, digging into that experience of knowing with God. And by the way, equal, equal amounts of intimacy on both sides. And again, what I've seen through the years counseling people uh, is basically the same tendency. Basically, a couple will get married and they just meet and they're maybe kind of the hit of high school. And then, as you see, things go along and they go along and they go along and there's no knowing and they try to go back to the beginning. So I thought, well, how could I illustrate this the best because it's a complex idea and the way I want to do it today is to sing a song for you from Billy Joel's Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. Now, you will see why I didn't become a piano bar player in about two seconds. But hopefully you hear these words of this song and think about knowing and this tendency that happens to a lot of people. It goes something like this. Popular cities and the king and the queen and the throng. Riding around with the car top down and the radio on. Nobody looked in a finer. What was more of a hit in the parkway diner? You we never knew that we could ever want more in life. Whoa, silly brand for an ending. We always know how to survive. We can help with the next one. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Brand for an was still going steady by the summer of 75. The marriage would be at the end of July. Everyone said they were crazy. And you know you were much too lazy. And it can never afford to live that kind of life. Oh, but then we were waiting for Brendan and goodbye. Oh, oh, oh. Got in the park with the deep park hop within a couple of days of seas. They bought a bed that they bought with the bread and the secret coat. When the money got tied and they just didn't count on the tears. Oh, 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 oh. For a while, for a very nice style, but it's always the same in the end. They got a divorce as a matter of course, and the part of the closest friends. The king and the queen, they went back to the green, but you can never go back there again. Render and Eddie had it already by the summer of 75. From the height of the low to the end of the show for the rest of their lives. Couldn't go back to the greases. The best you could do is pick up their pieces. We always knew they would find a way to get by. Oh, that's how I know about Brenda and Eddie. Can't tell you more because I told you already. Then we were waiting for Brenda and Eddie goodbye. Oh, oh. Bye. 
to talk about how we don't fall into this pattern of Brenda and Eddie. And maybe that's not where you are today. Maybe you know someone who is Brenda and Eddie. So I want to talk about knowing and how we do that. I want to give you four things that hopefully can help you in your marriages or, again, in your relationship with God. Really dig into that. And I've, I've given all of them T's so you can remember them. They're all T's, and I, don't want you to, I didn't want you to bring notes into the bedroom. I didn't think that would help. So you can remember these things, okay? The first, first part of knowing, knowing happens through talking, through talking. So this uh, three couples went to heaven, and they're standing before Peter, and Peter's uh, about to let them in, and Peter says, you know, this first couple, you're not getting in. And the couple go, well, why not? And he go, the, Peter goes, well, because all you cared about your whole life was money. I mean, you even named your wife Penny. So, I mean, this is not good. And so the next couple come up to Peter, and uh, Peter says, uh, you know, you guys are not getting in either. Uh, and they said, well, why not? And they said, well, because Peter said all you cared about was drink. I mean, you named your wife Sherry. I mean, it's clear. Third couple come up to Peter, and they're standing before Peter, and the husband looks at the wife, and the wife looks at the husband, and Peter's about to say something, and the couple, the guy goes to the wife, come on, Fanny, we're out of here. We're never going to get into this place, so... Oh, come on. That's pretty good. Is that not good? Okay. So, talking is the key. Talking is the key to good knowing. Uh, Did you know that they did studies of couples, and they found that where there is talking and listening, actual pupils dilate, and there's receptivity. Tony Campolo talked about going into restaurants a long time ago, and he said in one sermon he could always tell which couple was married and which couple were just dating. He said the couples that were just dating were just animated, and they were full of life, and they were full of stories, and they had bright, lit-up eyes and smiles, and the couples who were married didn't talk to one another. It often happens that couples who are married, they actually stop talking to one another. We had this uh, big debate at the steering team this last week. The women on the steering team all said that, that uh, talking was important for women before sex. And the men all said it's, it's important for, for men too. And the women said, no, it's not. And the men, yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. So we had some good talk there. But I don't want to be glib about this because I know how busy life can get. I called 20 people on the phone yesterday in the church, and I said, how can I pray for you? And the number of people who all said, I have two jobs, I'm just trying to make ends meet, and I just don't even have time for church anymore. Uh, Star and I, we have found that since we got a three-year-old in our lives, there's been a lot less talking between Star and I, because our wonderful three-year-old is so good at talking, (laughs) and we want to let her talk. She's the future sermon giver in the family, right? But we actually have to take time to make sure that there's talking in our relationship. So knowing happens through talking. Knowing also happens through time. It's the longer that we spend with one another. By the way, this isn't always the case. Sometimes there are couples who have been married for, you know, 50 and 60 years who don't know each other at all. So it doesn't always happen, but time is a very important part of knowing. Uh, Greg Laurie talked about some ways that you know you're getting older. He said, you know you're getting older when you look forward to a dull evening at home. Uh, You know you're getting older when your mind uh, makes commitments that your body cannot keep. Uh, You know you're getting older when everything hurts and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. (laughs) You know you're getting older when you sink your teeth into a big juicy steak and they stay there. (laughs) You know you're getting older when you dim the lights for economic reasons, not romantic ones. 
You know you're getting older when you've owned clothes for so long they came back into style twice. You know you're getting older when you sing along to elevator music. You know you're getting older when you, try, you quit trying to hold your stomach in no matter who walks into the room. But I love couples like we saw in the video or like Patricia and Richard who are on staff here who have been married for a long time. There's a kind of depth of knowing that happens there. One of my favorite couples that this relates to is I've talked about before, Billy and Ruth Graham. Ruth passed away a few years ago, but they were married their whole lives together. And I just love what they said, what he said about Ruth when she passed away. Uh, Billy said this, he said, you know, my wife Ruth was the person to whom I would go to for spiritual guidance. She was the only one in whom I completely confided. She was a great student of the Word. Could you say that about your spouse? Her wife was ruled by the Bible more than any individual I've known. When it comes to spiritual things, my wife has had the greatest influence on my ministry, said Billy. Throughout her years, she got sicker and sicker, but every day Ruth would wake up and say, God's will be done and God's name be glorified. I love this. Uh, Towards the end of, of her life, when she was just in bed, Billy was no longer preaching, and he would just sit there, and they would watch Les Miserables reruns, and she knew every single word to Les Mis. Her daughter said this, he would just sit and stare at her. It even made her a little uncomfortable, but you could see she loved it, see the tenderness in her sparkling eyes. Time goes with knowing. The third thing is going to be the toughest thing for a lot of us to hear today. I offer this in love, and I offer this hopefully in a spirit of being helpful. But the third thing is it takes two adults for a knowing relationship to happen. And as I've explored and I've talked to couples through the years about their marriages, I would say there are three basic patterns that people fall into in terms of not being adults when when they're in a marriage pattern. Now again, these are just types, right? These are roles that we play. The first is two children who get married, two kids. I had a couple of kids in my office the other day. One, I think, was 16. One was 17. True story. And they asked, do you think we should get married? They wanted to get married. I said, well, I don't actually think you should get married. They said, "Uh, why not? Well, I said, "Uh, first of all, where are you going to live and such, and how are you going to kind of pay your bills? "Uh, We're going to live with mom and dad, they said. Which actually is okay, right, for a little bit, but that can't be your primary, like, plan for your life. Amen, parents? Then I said this. I said, when was the last time you two argued with one another? That is, you had an opposite opinion from one another. They said, we never argue because we never have opposite opinions. That is a dynamic of what you might call two children in a marriage. If you can't have an opposite opinion from your spouse and it be okay, it's something to work on. Because adults have opposite opinions. Now, again, I know there have been a lot of people who are married young here, and I want to say, God bless you. What I want you to do, though, is think about in your marriage now, are we still acting like children, or have we grown up sometime along the way? Okay? The second pattern that I've seen in marriages is what I would call a father-daughter dynamic. A father-daughter dynamic. Uh, psychologists would call this a reverse Oedipus, but listen, father-daughter dynamic, I'm not talking about Appalachia here, I'm talking about a role, okay? A role. Now, a role of a father-daughter will basically be the father is the husband and the daughter is the wife. And the, and the, father, and the, and the husband acts in a fatherly role and the wife acts in a daughter role. Uh, the, the couple came in for counseling a, a while ago and they said to me, 
Graham, we're having a hard time in our relationship, in our marriage. And, and I said, well, let's talk about something. Let's, how do you handle money in your relationship? By the way, how you handle money and sex are closely related. We're talking about money after the Kirkin, okay? But not today. So this guy, this guy says, I give my wife an allowance once a month to spend. And if she's good, I give her another allowance the next month. Now, I'm expecting her to be sitting there going, isn't he a you-know-what? But she turns to me and says, yeah, I hope that I can be good so I can get my allowance. Now, this is what you might call a father-daughter dynamic because a daughter is trying to please her father and get an allowance, but a, a spousal relationship is not like this. I talked to a couple who just went to the first service. They said, we have a father-daughter. We had a father-daughter dynamic at the beginning of our marriage, but we've kind of worked through that. But if you're a husband and you're controlling the space in your house too much, if you're controlling the money, I'm not talking about monitoring. I'm just talking about controlling this stuff. Then that's not a healthy dynamic. By the way, if you're a wife and you're acting like a daughter, you need to think about that too, okay? It takes two to tango. The third is the most prevalent role pattern that I've seen in every community. It's the mother-son dynamic. It's where the wife tends to act more like a mother, and the husband tends to act more like a son and less like a husband. Man, it got quiet in here. (laughs) All right. So the mother-son dynamic is this. It's where the wife falls into maternal patterns rather than wife patterns. This, uh, this happened to Henry Cloud, who is a great Ph.D. psychologist. A lot of these ideas came from Henry Cloud. is in a counseling office one day, and this couple came in, and they're having real problems in their marriage. Henry's sitting across from him, and he says, all right, talk to me. What's going on? She says, he did a really bad thing. So they're expecting this is going to be like, you know, infidelity. Uh, that's what Henry's thinking, because that's false. But then he, she said, yeah, it happens all the time. So he's, Henry's thinking, probably we're talking about porn here. So then, then Henry says, all right, let's just get it out on the table. Let's work through this. 90% of all marriages who get this stuff on the table actually work through this stuff. So he looks at Henry Cloud in the eye, and with a tear in his eye says, I bowl. You what? said Henry. I bowl. And then he swallowed hard, and with a tear in his eye, he said, I do it at least twice a month. She then looks at Henry Cloud and points at this guy and says, isn't he a cretin? This might be an example of an over-controlling wife, of a maternal pattern which is more maternal than it is wife. So I want you to think about this. And again, these patterns don't mean that you're stuck in these relationships, our, our, our point of our lives is not to become perfect people. Our point of our life is both to become redemptive before Christ and also to give God our brokenness. So let me give you some examples of if you may be falling into the mother do- mother-son dynamic. You may be being too much of a mother if you closely monitor the money he spends. I'm talking about controlling. On the other hand, you might be being too much of a son if you're just recklessly spending that money. It takes two to tango. You might be too much of a mother if you're closely checking text messages three and four times a day of your husband. There may be a level of trust there that we need to talk about. On the other hand, you might be being too much of a son if you're always spending time with your friends and never talking here. You might be being too much of a mother in a relationship if you're putting an adult lock on the TV for your husband. I've heard of this before. 
Now, on the other hand, you might be being too much of a son if you're watching adult TV. That's what boys do. Men don't do that. You might be being too much of a mother if you check the emails or voice messages of your husband a couple times a day. You might be being too much of a son if you have secretive relationships. You might be being too much of a mom if you pack the lunch of your husband every day. You might be being too much of a son if you take Spider-Man lunchbox to work every... I just wanted to see if... <laughs> that last one doesn't count. I'm just kidding. Okay. But know that these are not fixed patterns in our lives. These are just tendencies that we can think about. And that God wants us to be two adults in a relationship. Last piece is this. Tough experiences, tough experiences grow knowing. You know, these are tough times in America, and you're probably going through tough times right now. Maybe you're going through tough times economically, maybe you're going through tough times in your jobs, and this can be the greatest blessing of your marriage, or this can be one of the greatest destructive pieces. You get to choose whether you're going to dig deeper into this relationship through this tough time, or whether it's going to break you apart. But tough experiences grow marriages in healthy ways. I wanted to finish with a love letter of a couple who lived in the 1800s by the name of Sarah and Sullivan Ballou. Sullivan Ballou fought in the Civil War in 1861. This is one of the most beautiful love letters I have ever heard, and it really demonstrates a deep sense of knowing, knowing one another. And it's the gift that God wants us to have. I'll end this way. This is what he writes to his wife. My dear Sarah, July 14, 1861. The indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow. Lest I shall not be able to write again, I feel impelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eye when I shall be no more. I have no misgivings about or lack of confidence in the cause in which I am engaged, and my courage does not halt or falter. Sarah, my love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence could break. The memories of the blissful moments I have spent with you come creeping over me, and I feel most gratified to God and to you that I have enjoyed them for so long. And hard it is for me to give them up and burn to ashes the hopes of future years when, God willing, we might still have lived and loved one another, seen our sons grow up honorable in manhood around us. I have, I know, but a few small claims upon divine providence. But something whispers to me, Perhaps it is the wafted prayer of my little son, Edgar, that I shall return to my loved ones unharmed. But if I do not come back alive, dear Sarah, never forget how much I love you, and when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. Forgive my many faults and my pains that I've caused you. How thoughtless and foolish I have been over these years. How gladly I would wash out with my tears every little spot of your happiness. But, oh, Sarah, if the dead can come back to this earth and flit unseen around those they loved, I shall always be near you. In the gladdest days and in the darkest nights, always, always, if there be a soft breeze on your cheek, it shall be my breath. As the cool air fans your throbbing temple, it shall be my spirit passing by. Sarah, do not mourn me dead. Think I am gone and wait for me, for I shall return again. Sullivan died a couple days later at the Battle of Bull Run. But they experienced this knowing. God wants you to have that knowing too. It's a gift from God that only God can give you. It's way deeper than sex. 
It's way deeper than this physical contact. It's deep. And God wants you to have it with God as well. That's His gift to us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for this day. Thank You that we have this gift of knowing that's so much bigger than sex. Thank You, Lord, that we are known by You. And we will someday fully know You, even as we are fully known. Father, I pray that You'd be with those today who want this depth. They're tired of the unknowing sexual contacts. They want something that gives them hope and gives them life. We know that you have given us that gift, and we will receive it on this day as well as we can. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the people said. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.